Good morning. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, October 20th. We have, uh, we're starting the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 and 2. We have Psalm 133, and then we do have a video for the first part of Romans. And so let's ask the Lord's blessing as we uh, dive into this new book. Heavenly Father, glorious King and Creator and Maker of all, Lord, we just thank you and we're in awe of how incredible you are, Lord. We just ask right now that you would just be with us as we begin to spend this time together with you, Lord, that uh, you would open our eyes and our hearts uh, to your word as we re your, read your word, as we watch this video about your word, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us, Lord. Speak with us now, Father. Okay, this video introduces Paul, the apostle, and summarizes the historical context and main idea of the first four chapters of his most epic work, The Letter to the Romans. Paul's Letter to the Romans. It's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel. And he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire telling people about the risen King Jesus and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions. And the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point the Roman Emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later all of those Jews, including Jesus following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension so that by Paul's day the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now the letter is designed to have four main movements, but it's unified as one long flowing exploration of the gospel. The gospel, Paul says, first of all reveals God's righteousness, and then it also creates a new humanity which fulfills God's promise to Israel. And so it's this gospel that's going to unify the church. In this video we're just going to explore the ideas in chapters 1 through 4. So Paul opens by introducing himself as an apostle appointed by God to spread the gospel about Jesus, how he's the Messiah of Israel who was raised from the dead as the Son of God, 
king of the nations. And Jesus now calls all humanity to come under his loving rule. And Paul says this good news about King Jesus is, first of all, God's power to save people who trust in him, and second, that it reveals God's righteousness. Now, Righteousness is a rich Old Testament word for Paul. It describes God's character, that he always does justice, what is right and what is good, but also that he is faithful and just to fulfill his promises. And Paul's saying that the story of Jesus shows how God has done both of these things. How? Well, he goes first into a long creative retelling of Genesis chapters 3 through 11. He shows how all the Gentile world, all the nations, have become trapped in the spiral of sin and selfishness. The human heart and mind are broken, Paul says. We've turned away from God to embrace idolatry, which means finding ultimate significance in created things and then giving ultimate allegiance to these things that are not God. This results in a distortion of our humanity and destructive behavior. And so what's left is a humanity that stands guilty as charged before a just and righteous God. To which the people of Israel might say, well, it's a good thing then that God chose our people out from among the nations. He saved us out of slavery in Egypt. He gave us the laws of the Torah, like the Sabbath and eating kosher and circumcision. And these all together show us how to live as God's holy people. But, Paul says, not so fast. He recalls the storyline of the Torah and of the rest of the Old Testament, which shows that Israel was just as sinful and idolatrous and morally broken as the rest of humanity. Israel is actually more guilty than the Gentiles, Paul says, because they have the Torah. They should know better. And so, Paul concludes, all humanity, Gentiles, Israelites, are hopelessly trapped and guilty before God. But that is not the final word. The good news about Jesus is God's response. Instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to die on behalf of all people as a sacrifice for sins. As our representative, Jesus took into himself all of the just consequences of the pain, the sin, and the death that we have caused in the world. And he overcame it all by his resurrection from the dead. It's his new resurrection life that he makes available to others. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And all of this, Paul says, is how God justifies those who trust or have faith in Jesus. Now, justification is another rich Old Testament term for Paul, and it's related to God's righteousness. It literally means to declare righteous. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are given a new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, God declares that a person is in a right relationship with him and is forgiven. Justification results in a new family. The person who trusts in Jesus is given a place among God's covenant people. Justification also results in a new future, which begins a journey of life transformation by God's grace. And so all of these things about justification are God's gift to those who through their faith are in Christ. And so this leads Paul in chapter 4 to explore the huge implications that all of this has for who can be a part of God's covenant family. He goes back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Before any of the laws of the Torah were given to Israel, Abraham was justified or declared righteous before God. How? 
Well, God promised that Abraham would become a father of a large multi-ethnic family that would receive God's blessing. But he and his wife Sarah, they were really old. They had never been able to have children. But nonetheless, Abraham had radical faith and trust in God's promise. And so God declared him to be righteous. And so Paul says, now Abraham has become the father of God's new covenant family, and it's spreading all around the world. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles who have the same kind of faith and trust in the one who fulfilled God's promise to Abraham, Jesus the Messiah. So let's pause and summarize Paul's main ideas here in chapters 1 through 4 because they're the foundation for understanding the rest of the letter. All humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That rescue, however, is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection so that he could create that multi-ethnic family of Abraham based on faith as his own new covenant people. And so Paul's going to go on to show how this new family is a part of something much, much bigger that calls them to a whole new way of life together. But it's all going to be rooted in these core ideas explored in chapters 1 through 4 of Paul's letter to the Romans. Okay. <clears throat> Praise you, Lord, for what an amazing uh, way to save us. I don't know how else to put it, Father. It's incredible. Lord, be with us as we begin to read your word. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace an apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to a dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise giving up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they to what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves, for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
He will render to each one according to his works. To those who practice in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their, on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law and you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law embodiment of knowledge and truth, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Why you preach against, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, let's continue on in Psalm chapter 133. It's titled, When the Brothers Dwell in Unity. It's a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when the brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. O oh, Heavenly Father, how true that is, Lord, your word. Dwelling in unity. It is such a blessing, Lord. What a fitting psalm for the beginning of this letter, Lord, that you wrote to the church in Rome and to us about unity, about Jew and Gentile alike, Lord, working together. Lord, help us to be honoring to you, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways, in your will. Lord, may your will be accomplished here on earth, in and through us, Lord. Lord, that you would draw people to yourselves, Lord, to yourself. To you, those that don't know you, Lord, and those that do know you, just draw us into a deeper relationship with you, Lord. Draw us closer and closer to you, Lord. Give us that desire, that hunger for your word, the hunger to know you more and more and more, Lord, that we wouldn't be able to get enough of you, Lord, that there would that would be the one uh, desire that's never satisfied, Lord. One hunger that's never satisfied. The hunger for you to grow closer and closer to you. To get to know you more and more and more, Lord. Increase that desire, that hunger in our hearts, Lord. And decrease. Take away the, the hunger for the things of this world, the hungers of the flesh, Lord, the desires the, uh, for all the things, Lord, food and lust and power and all these things, Lord, that our flesh will desire and consume us with, Lord. But Lord, just help us to just shift that focus in our hearts, Lord. The thirst for a drink of your water will never thirst again, Lord. Just switch our desires from, from the flesh to the spirit, Lord. Lord, I think of those that are suffering, that are like Pam, Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen her legs, that you would give her a desire to, to get mobile, to walk again, to come home, Lord. We ask that you restore her mind from the, those things from the stroke, Lord. Just her, heal those areas of her mind, or Lord, just allow the other parts of her mind to take up, Lord, to, to remember those things, to relearn those things, Lord, that it would be uh, Pam, her personality, her 
Lord, you and your spirit just working in and through her, Lord. And Lord, we know your spirit isn't damaged. Pam's spirit isn't damaged. It's just the, the physical, the brain, Lord, but it's just the physical uh, mediator, I guess, Lord, for our spirit and your spirit to speak in and through these bodies, Lord. And so we just ask that you would repair that, Lord, that, that you would speak through Pam, that, that Pam's spirit, her eternal part, would be, be able to function properly in that physical body, Lord. And we would lift up Trish to you, Lord, and the same thing, Lord, that you would just give her just a strength, a desire to, to get out of that bed, Lord, until the time when you're ready to take her home, Lord, take any of us home, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be to make the most of the time that you've given us, Lord, that we wouldn't just be, uh, wouldn't get caught up in the things of this world or just get numb to, to your kingdom and what you're doing in and through us, Lord. Lord, help us to just be full speed for you until that day that you take us home, Lord. Not, not overextending ourselves and but Lord just just running smoothly on your grace and your power in your spirit Lord in and through these lives just relying more and more on you to do it and less and less on us Lord it's not us it's no it's no stress Lord when we know it's you doing it we're just kind of along for the ride Lord Lord, I think of Al and his back too. Lord, we just ask that you give the doctor's wisdom on that. And um, Bailey's family, that with COVID, Lord, we just ask for healing there, that you would get them through. And, of course, uh, Charlotte's uh, friend uh, on the ventilator, Brian, Lord, we lift him up to you. We ask that you would heal his body, that you would restore him, Lord, or... Just draw them closer to you during this time. And Lord, be with us today. Uh, let us magnify you and tonight in our, uh, as we gather to specifically together to fellowship and to, to worship you, Lord, and to honor you and learn about you and your word. And Lord, I just ask that you be with those that are speaking, that you be with Ada, Lord. She leads us in the worship of you, Lord. Father, you've gifted her in that, Lord. And, uh, Father, we just ask that you would just, uh, that she wouldn't be too nervous, Lord, but just a respectful nervous uh, for you and the handling of, of your songs, Lord, and this praise of you. But, Lord, uh, just bring to mind all that she knows and, has learned, and just let it be a great time, Father. Worship and, uh, and the study of your word, Lord.
We ask for your blessing today. Watch over us and uh, guide us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, have a great day.